After a career in app development and with experience as a CTO, Josh Nell joined Lambda School to help change the way students think about coding school and learning. As the head of instruction, Josh is constantly innovating and adjusting the Lambda curriculum in order to make sure that his students are as prepared as possible when they graduate from the program and enter the real world. In this episode, Josh and Ian discuss the challenges associated with creating and maintaining an online coding bootcamp designed to change the face of education. Plus, they dive into what it means to have a community of well-trained graduates and how Josh's past experience as a CTO helps him excel in his role today. This podcast is sponsored by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash buildmobileapps. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here, mission.org. And on the other line... Josh, what's going on? What's going on? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am very excited to talk to you today. We have actually had someone from Lambda School on a different mission podcast, and uh, we wanted to come back to get someone to talk to our IT audience. And who better than someone with an IT background like yourself? Although your current role is not quite IT, uh, we want to get into what you're working on at Lambda School, what Lambda is doing in general, which is super fascinating and relevant to our audience of people that are looking for talented individuals. And then we'll also touch on a bunch of stuff from your background that we find particularly interesting. So first, how'd you get into IT? I uh, started building computers when I was 11. Uh, I was kind of an entrepreneur and I thought I could build a cheaper computer than the compact Presario down the street at Shopco or whatever. So I decided I could put together those pieces and started building computers because I loved video games and that's how it started. What's your, uh, what's your favorite early game? Uh, back then it was Warcraft orcs and humans. <laughs> nice. That was like literally the game I built the computer for so I could handle it with the Ram and uh, setting up TCP IP connections over hardwired cross coaxial cable, <laughs> super nerdy stuff. But I loved it. That's great. You have a really interesting role as head of instruction or director of instruction at Lambda School. Can you kind of explain what your scope of responsibilities are and what you're working on? Sure. So this is kind of a new role that evolved from our growth strategies. We've been growing like crazy and so crazy. I mean, we're talking 20 employees a month right now. It's wow. not an exaggeration. And it's just, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this and I've been around the block. So it's been like, wow, this is blowing my mind. Um, but we basically have enough instructors now that we need a true North in how all the instruction should look at Lambda school. And I had been teaching at Lambda school for the past year and a couple months as a web instructor. And so I moved into this role and that's how it evolved. Well, I guess as far as like what we do and what I do in particular is I work with our program managers, which is just a management position where they're working with instructors who then work with our students. So we right now have around 1,300 active students at Lambda School, 
And I'm sure that number is going to be laughable in the future, but it seems massive to us right now. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, and that's, that's what we do. And that's basically I'm, I'm working with them and we're teaching them how to be better instructors because a lot of these people came from IT backgrounds and programming backgrounds, but they didn't necessarily have teaching skills coming in. Maybe they had a passion for teaching, but we've found that to be quite the unicorn to have somebody that could not only do something, explain something and be able to handle a classroom in a remote setting. I mean, those are some really interesting, you know, skills that you could put on your profile is to manage a classroom of over, let's say 100 students actively learning and not in a webinar setting, but in a very interactive setting. It's, it's difficult. Yeah. And let's, let's talk a little bit more about specifically how Lambda works, because it is something that you know, has been in the news a bunch recently. We had uh, Austin Allred, the CEO, on on education trends and talking about, you know, what is shifting and this shifting landscape of specifically a massive, massive need for uh, for developers, for engineers, for technical talent. That is, you know, I'm sure our, our listeners are all nodding along because they know how difficult it is to fill these positions. Why is it so important to to be building Lambda School? Man, that's, that is the golden question. And that is really, we talk about becoming income accelerators more than, you know, we're creating technologists because technology is a byproduct of what we're doing. Like we're trying to change people's lives through changing their income trajectory. So technology is the lowest hanging fruit and that's where Lambda School is right now. And so, yeah, you're nodding your head because it's not easy to do. It's not easy to train these people to give them confidence. I mean, that's a tough one. It's like one of the first challenges that I was given as an instructor was, could you teach that random person on the street? You know, and, and the person I was interviewing with pointed at a little old lady. I was like, can you teach her how to code? And I was like, honestly, I don't know right now. <laughs> yeah, totally. But then eventually as we evolved into the teaching role. And I got used to these things because I didn't come from education. I taught on the side for fun and it was just kind of a hobby. And then all of a sudden it was full time and it was really, really accelerated. And so what we're trying to do is incentivize people by coming in. I think a lot of people that don't know Lambda School or maybe they've heard Austin speak already. They know about the income share agreement which allows students to basically learn for free. And in some cases we have some programs in place where we will actually pay students a living stipend and that'll actually change their ISA. But it's, it's just unbelievable that way. But I think people get lost in the ISA and they're just like, Oh, the ISA, that's why Lambda school is successful. The, the moat <laughs> that we put around it is actually the curriculum and our focus on computer science proper. And so it's pretty interesting because people come into Lambda School thinking it's a boot camp that's online and it's ISA. But that's just not, that's one fourth of the story. Uh, being able to gain a community at the remote level that we can is just really hard to do. Like we have students literally across the world and they're helping each other. Like our community is so active and the more Lambda School people that get hired, the quality of education continues to grow. Like we're this like growing bustling income acceleration company that is just hoping to fill those gaps that a lot of you have that are listening. 
because we're trying to create students that are more focused on helping you immediately. And we feel that giving them those practical skills, like a full stack web developer, for example, then then goes into a computer science proper. So we're talking like going into C and Python, data structures and algorithms. Like this is stuff that boot camps can't cover because of time and money. And we can because of our ISA structure and the way we built our company. Well, I think it's really interesting delineation there because I think when boot camps first kind of started coming around and becoming more popularized, it was this situation where it's really interesting to have someone that can go from, you know, the person who's working at 24 hour fitness that would love to be a developer, but has no means or ability to do that to someone who is a new hire. But the problem is, you know, with the the huge problem that that Lambda has kind of figured out is this, they don't have $20,000 sitting in their bank account uh, in the vast majority of cases. So if you align incentives to that person not having to come out of pocket for that, and then, you know, a percentage of their income, once they get hired going back to Lambda school, you can, it's a win, win, win. But like you said, it goes it goes far beyond that with the level of instruction and the quality of instruction because you have such a, a firm business model and, and foundation. Why is the instruction different? I mean, I know this is your baby, this is what you do, but why do you think that it's a competitive advantage that your graduates have something that uh, you know it isn't really out there? And I would I would add that there's something about not having to worry about you know, bankrupting yourself and your family uh, that I'm sure <laughs> gives a, a level set, a quality of, of life that is much improved. But beyond that, what makes, you know, Lambda School graduates more talented potentially? I think it begins with what you just said about that mental barrier, the financial barrier being removed. So that's number one. But the interesting thing is the grit level, like the grit level of an Lambda school student, I feel like it's just, and this is anecdotal, I don't have data pieces on grit, but thinking about, like I, I teach as an adjunct professor at a local university and some of those students come in and, and they're using a scholarship. They're, you know, they've kind of got a different experience. Um, sometimes it's like you teach me kind of attitude. And when a Lambda school student comes in, sometimes they're on their last leg of hope Sometimes they've come in, they already have a master's degree and they're looking for hard skill. And so they're coming in and you look at their eyes and they're like, I'm here to learn. It's different. <laughs> it gives me goosebumps because they're just like, I want to learn. And so when that, when that, fl- that switch is flipped, it's, it's different. And so when I'm teaching HTML and CSS, let's go with something that a lot of people can relate to. So HTML and CSS is not that difficult to obtain but when you have like this insatiable hunger behind you to learn HTML and CSS, all of a sudden the lessons become 10 times more impactful and the students trust you. So when you go to a university and you know, I can't talk bad on universities. I, I have an undergrad and a master's degree. Like I don't, I don't want to talk bad on them. I think there's value in some social constructs there, but as far as educational and like pedagogy and transferring of knowledge, there's some problems there. And so being able to cut through that, like we're not accredited and that's probably the best thing about our education (laughs) is because we're not accredited. We don't have to worry about listening to everybody else's opinion. 
and the money game that is accreditation. I've been part of accreditation boards and it's, it's laughable that it's a money game. And so for me, we don't have to do that. What do we do? We go to the hiring partners. We say, what do you need to hire right now? And what do you wish you had? And they're always like, oh, we wish we had deeper knowledge of computer science just so they could be better critical thinkers so that if we switched code bases, they weren't just limited to one. And we're like, oh, okay. So you're looking for critical thinkers. And they're like, yeah, like if it's React, now it's going to be something later. And so our mentality and what makes us really different, and I think everybody thinks this about themselves, but we really proud ourselves on the fact that if React went out of style, for example, in a full stack web development course, we would be fine transitioning as soon as possible because we are looking towards the hiring managers and we're not looking at what our instructors can teach. Yeah, I think that's such a critical insight because there's a huge gap between you know, regular education, traditional education, um, oftentimes, you know, potentially for-profit education and the hiring manager and ultimately, and the recruiter to begin with, right? Like the first it's got to get to a recruiter and then it's got to get to a hiring manager. And I think that what is so cool about Lambda School is it's not like a replacement for college. It's not, it's not trying to, you know, say that those things are unnecessary or not valuable for other people, like people can find value where, where they want to. What I think that it is the most valuable thing, it kind of in my opinion, in talking to graduates and, and talking to students and things like that is it's a crystal clear way for students uh, or for someone who wants a career to be a developer to get there as fast as possible in a way that like doesn't ruin their home life. I mean, it th- that part of it that so many of these folks and the folks that I've talked to is that they just don't feel like they can do it. They didn't grow up with a family of developers. They didn't necessarily grow up with a computer at all. And, you know, now they, now they have phones and things like that. Obviously they have computers in their pocket, but they definitely didn't grow up, you know, in a place where they had those things. And a lot of that is just telling them that they can do it, giving them that advice, giving them inspiration um, and saying like, no, look, there's someone like you that has gone through this exact thing. And I think that, and by the way, do you want to talk to that person? Because they're right here if you want to, you know, talk to them. You know, I think community a lot of times get gets thrown around. Do you feel like the community of your graduates is something that, you know, feels special from other places that you've been to? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I almost feel like you're teeing me up for success with that question because the students are just on fire about what we have to offer. I mean, so much so that we will see little tweet storms that come up from gatherings from Lambda School students that weren't sanctioned or like set up by Lambda School. It's like, not that we sanction anything, but we're just like, where did this come from? This little group. And it's like, oh, they naturally came together because of the community and the remote community that we have. So it really starts with Slack right now and having these little subgroups. And then we start doing meetups And so we started to realize the power of our own community. It's funny how you seem so dumb to think we didn't have a community. No, it just grew so fast and so wide. And so we have these awesome communities now where we're now having Lambda School students interview other potential employees that are Lambda School students. And it's like, what? That is so mind boggling that our students are in a place where they've progressed over a year 
And then a year later, another Lambda School employee came, or a student came in as an interview and they were told to go interview that person. Yeah, that's, that's like, crazy. That's ridiculous it's, for us. It's been something that we're just like so grateful for. But I mean, you add, and that's it. The community is just, I mean, they're like on fire. It's so fun to see everybody get together. What does this look like in 10 years? Like, do you think that, you know, these folks that are, you know, out there and I mean, I kind of just what you said, I think is so exciting. The idea that, you know, these people are going to be VPs someday. These people are going to be CIOs and CTOs. These people are going to be leaders and they're going to be able to, you know, hire more land school folks and folks outside of that and build their, build their own companies. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time on IT Visionaries is this idea of citizen development that people who are growing up with technology, young people now, or, you know, any, it, not, it's not even young, it's just anyone who is excited about technology can, you know, with low code and no code tools, build stuff immediately which is really exciting. Do you think this kind of like world of innovation that's happening around this stuff, uh, what does this look like in 10 years? That's where we're looking. And we're looking at bigger and like sometimes uh, rank and file employee. <laughs> we have so much that we've got to get done that the vision, we come and have a vision meeting basically every all hands where we get together and it's so fun to look up for a second and then look down and get back to work. But the 10 year is so big. It's so disruptive that, you know, we really see Lambda school being in multiple places like technology. Like I was saying before is the lowest hanging fruit because we feel like that's where the fastest amount of income acceleration just naturally occurs right now in our society. But there's other low hanging fruit that's just above that fruit. And so we feel like with our, our pedagogy, our approach, our community, all the things that we've been talking about this whole time, sky's the limit. So like, what does that mean? Well, I mean, I don't know. We're trying to figure that out. But oftentimes when we have these meetings, we have growth meetings and they talk about, you know, if Lambda ships a rocket, we're on the launch pad. Like we haven't even blasted off yet. Like that's the mentality we have. And it shows, it shows in the way that we're being aggressive and moving so quickly. So like, what does it look like in 10 years exactly? I don't know. But if any indication of the last two years, going from zero students to 1,300 right now and growing, I mean, we could just run some numbers and get some math there and be like, wow. <laughs> but the reality is it could exponentially increase and we think it will be based on our community as it grows. One of the questions that I've heard from you know CIOs and, and technologists out there about boot camps and different sort of things is that the candidates sometimes are just not really prepared to join the corporate world just yet. Do you find, are you worried about that? Are you worried that certain Lambda school graduates aren't really going to hit their stride or aren't talented enough to kind of make it immediately? I don't know if you have a certain type of like number or threshold. I know, you know, for for-profit education places and obviously, you know, those or accredited and all that sort of stuff, uh, you know, they have to hit like 90%, you know, hiring within six months or something like that. I might be slightly off on the numbers, but, but do you find like, is that a, something that you're, that you're worried about that you're constantly worried about and, and how are you kind of uh, preventing that stuff? Uh, yeah, we're, we're constantly worried about it. But one thing that we're really doing that again, sets us apart. Yeah. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but I've been a lot of other Kool-Aid stands. And the reality <laughs> is we have a mastery based progression 
built into what we're doing. And that's something that I can't say about my university experience. For example, I failed classes in university and they took my money and I went home with, you know, my tail between my legs that semester. And (laughs) so what did I have to do? I had to take the class again a whole year later because of the summer block and all that stuff or whatever. And so you have such a horrible learning cycle there and you can't get to the end result, which is to get a job, to be educated, to become successful and accelerate ourselves, right? So with the mastery-based progression, we actually have a name for it internally. It's called Flex. And it allows our students to flex into a repeat week. So instead of having to wait a whole cohort, for example, so cohorts are a period of time. Right now, it's five to 10 weeks, depending if you're a full-time or part-time Lambda School student. But what we do is instead of making you wait, you know, five weeks to try again, which is still better than a year or a semester, we actually let you try again immediately. And we have things in place, meaning we have teaching assistance. We have curriculum that's actually pointed directly at mastery-based progression. And so that's really what sets us apart in the exact thing that you were asking about is preparedness. And so we make sure that students are prepared by having filters, basically sprint challenges to make sure, hey, do you really understand this? Could you really do this thing? And it's all project-based so we can make sure that they can build a thing, for example. And so if they can't build the thing, if they can't reach what we call MVP, you know, minimum viable product, we try to use terminologies that's in corporations everywhere, you know, sprints, agile methodologies, we practice all these things in preparation for that corporate world. And if they can't do them, then they have to repeat them until they can do them. And that's what's like, wow, that's a huge cost for any school. And because we're so student obsessed, like that's one of our values is to be student obsessed, is we think about, you know, how can we make sure these students don't get left behind? And that's how we've introduced that flex program. So my answer really is, we have thought about it. Every student that does get to the end of our program has demonstrated mastery of so many objectives that we could say that they're ready. Um, We even have demonstration of mastery for career skills. So it's not like we're not just teaching them hard skills, like that's huge, but we're actually going over soft skill development. We even do play-by-play interview analysis, like like NFL style, where we'll we'll stop the video and be like, actually, you shouldn't have said that. This is this thing. And we have, you know, 50 people watching it. It's it's really special. So, you know, I don't want to push too too hard on this, but there is a little bit of the professionalism through the process where it kind of feels like you might cook the books a little bit. It's like, this person is such a like honed candidate that it's like, of course they're going to say yes. Do you ever have the situation where it's a little too good to be true and you get a call from the hiring manager and saying, Hey, this person just isn't working out. And it kind of wasn't, wasn't what we paid for, for lack of a better term. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we have basically thousands and thousands of, you know, failed applications. And that's where I was talking about the grit earlier. Not every person is ready to hire somebody like a Lambda School graduate because they need this, this, and this now, and that person doesn't have it, for example. And so there's there's definitely fit problems that occur. And so we, we definitely don't cook our books in the sense that everybody is, we, we don't have a 100% hire rate, for example. Yeah. <laughs> that's our goal. But the reality is that's, that's not where we are. And so students are going through, they're going through the process, 
And then sometimes they just interview really poorly. They're just, yeah. they're not a good interview. And what happens then? Well, we have career coaches, like we have full-time dedicated staff, lots of staff that are dedicated to this specific problem. So if somebody goes, they have a bad interview, they have someone to come back to and say, I screwed this up. And they're like, okay, what happened? For example, I just worked with a student. She got hired. We had a celebration. It was awesome. See you later. And then all of a sudden, a couple weeks or a couple months later, actually, I got a DM from her and she said, I lost my job. What do I do now? And the coolest thing is if you lose a job at Lambda School, like if you lose a job and you've gone through Lambda School, we have lifetime career support. So what happened? Hey, go talk to the career coach. Let's get you back in the system. And guess what happened this week? She got hired again. So awesome. those, those things, we have a secular, like that's where I'm telling you, this is, it's crazy. It's crazy good <laughs> because of our career support. Our outcomes are always being hawked and our students are not getting lost. Now, yes, there are people that come in, they go through the system. Maybe they barely survive. They're barely passing every sprint challenge till a bitter end. Maybe they went into the flex program and it still didn't work out for them. We still don't give up on those people. Now, does that mean those people are getting hired more than the people that put all the effort into it or, you know, we're passing out all those things? No, like, you know, there's still reality that we deal with and we're still trying to figure that out, but it's top of mind. It's not like the last thing. One of the things I think will be a true testament to this type of model is when we have the data five years from now on not just whether these people are getting hired, but are they getting promoted? Are they accelerating their actual career? Not just to go from kind of that zero to one, like I went from working at the sandwich shop to being a developer, which is the huge step, but how well they progress in their career. And, and you know, obviously we're going to wait and see, but that's really exciting to me because it's, it's kind of like the customer journey rather than, you know, the buying journey, right? It's like, we don't want people to buy. We want people to to be customers for a long time. Like you, what's so cool about Lambda is that it exudes this, like we want you to be successful in life for a long time, not just kind of the short-term transactional relationship, which uh, is really refreshing to be honest. Yeah, you said it. <laughs> I didn't say it, you said it, uh, <laughs> but the reality is that's our goal. I mean, when I say lifetime career support, as long as we're in business, I mean, lifetime, we're going to be supporting our students. And I just, <laughs> my, my university never did that. You know, they were happy to take my money, but I didn't get any career support. And again, I'm not disparaging the universities out there, but. No, it's a different tool for a different job. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. I mean, what universities do and how they, you know, like raise the vast majority of, of our, you know, whatever, 18 to 22 year olds in this country. Um, there's a ton of value for that who people who want to learn that way, but there's lots of different ways that people learn. And this is a really good way for people who want to become developers. And I think that, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not one or the other, it's both. And, and people get to having more options for people to self-select into how they learn best is really powerful because traditionally there just weren't a ton of options like this. Yeah, we, we love university graduates <laughs> because it's kind of a grit badge. So we have people come in and if, you know, if they've got an undergrad or a master's degree, we automatically just, we have, we have numbers. We can be like, this person's going to, they're going to do their best. We don't filter on those kinds of things. Again, we are literally trying to get as many people as we can to come to Lambda School. But I think one of the interesting things is when we 
at least right now, when we give admissions, whenever we respond to somebody that, you know, received admission to Lambda School, one of the paragraphs says, we have decided to invest in you. And I think that's a really good phrase. I think it's a really good thing for the students to get in that paradigm that like, oh, wow, Lambda School's investing in me as much as, you know, <laughs> you know I'm going to be paying money for them in the ISA later because we're putting in so much front end effort. We're taking so much risk at the beginning to allow them to basically build their future. And like you said, I mean, one thing I want to address is like, we're, we're interested too in what you said about those students that have gone from the sandwich shop to you know, level one developer or something. Are they level one developer for five years? If so, I think we failed. Like we yeah, that's been, a great point. We've been trying to get our students to be, I alluded to it earlier, but critical thinkers and pragmatic in their approaches versus for lack of a better terminology, like framework warriors or something that only know how to do one thing and react or angular view or Ember node or whatever Ruby on rails, those things all come and go. We love to pride ourselves on students that learned react. And then what's their first job angular. (laughs) That for us is like the biggest cool, like high five is like, yes, we taught them how to read documentation we taught them how to be critical thinkers. Like that is a that is our biggest badge of honor is that they can switch between technologies right out of our school. So I want to talk a little bit about innovation in general. You came from being a CTO. You sat in the shoes of uh, the same shoes as a lot of our listeners. You grew up in IT. You've had a number of different roles in IT. What would be some of the best practices that you use at Lambda to drive innovation amongst these folks that are going through? Because I think a lot of the leaders who listen to the show are looking for ways to drive innovation uh, on their teams. We talked a little bit about the citizen developer idea, but this idea that you know you have you know tools out there that can help with taking something from idea to app in the matter of four hours or something like that. These type of things that are really empowering for employees to have to know that um, they can do things beyond just kind of that like ticket taking mentality that that we've seen. What are some of those things that that you've seen that have that have worked really well that you would recommend to people of innovating inside of their organizations? Yeah, I think that's uh, everybody's it's, it's top of mind when you kind of develop the status quo for your team. Things are going really well, but you're just like, ah, we're missing an accelerator. I think a lot of times the internal accelerations that I've seen at other companies before Lambda has been taking a chance and, you know, there's always risk involved no matter what in business. We all know that, but the risk of investing in your employees can be really scary because if your employee becomes smarter, they're going to ask for more money or they're going to go somewhere else. I've, (laughs) I've had a lot of my peers have that very discussion over lunch where it's like, Oh, if I invest in this person, and uh, I don't know the famous quote right now. But yeah, it's you, like if you if you invest in someone, it's the CFO says to the it's like the CFO says to the CIO or whatever it is, like uh, or it's like, hey, we need to invest in these people uh, or they leave. It's like, what if we don't invest and they stay? Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm I am repeating wisdom gained elsewhere, but that is the reality. That is the reality that we live with every day at Lambda School. Is if we don't invest in our processes, like. Our biggest sunk cost is maintaining a ratio of our project managers to students, for example. Like that is something that allows us to maintain that 
that good, like personable feel as we scale to, you know, 1300 students, it has the same feel as when we had 500 students because we have taken the risk and we've decided to reinvest in the machine, you know, the engine that is Lambda. And I think it is so hard. Clayton Christensen talks about marginal thinking and thinking like, you're just like so close to just like, I'm going to make this decision because right now it hurts. Right. Versus in 10 years, it could change our lives. Look, I, in my position as CTO, it's so easy now that I'm not a CTO and I don't have those same kind of major, major heavy decisions on my shoulders that I did. But I know those pains when it's like, well, of course you think marginally because we're human and you want to solve the pain right now. But man, what if we had invested more in this thing over here? So what is that thing? Well, I think it's your people. <laughs> it's, it's the people that you work with. It's like educate those people, form those people into the future of what you want your company to look like. And then amazing things happen. So, I mean, I think a lot of people hearing me are going, yeah, I know that. But the reality is, are you doing it? <laughs> are you, do- yeah. are you we- actually doing it? And, and that's where I've seen Lambda School put their money where their mouth is. And we have reinvested you know, all of, all of our efforts and time into the students' success. We've talked to a lot of leaders that were nervous about doing a hackathon for the first time. Like whether it's like, oh, that's kind of passe or whatever, whatever the reason is, or just like, well, you know, we don't want to confuse people. We want people to stay focused and all that sort of stuff. But it's like the lack of focus is there anyways, because there's something that bugs every single one of your employees. And they're like, why is it, you know, the timesheets is so stupid or why is it that, you know, whatever expense reports or whatever that thing is that bugs you know, your employees, it bugs them anyways. So giving them an outlet for that creativity of, hey, take a day and work on it. And I I forget exactly who it was, but um, one of the CIOs that we had on recently was that they they could just put an out-of-office reply and say, I'm not working today because of uh, CIO, uh, whatever their name was, like take it up with him sort of thing. And just giving them like a free day to experiment and explore. You know, you have a lot of like rigid structure how do you allow for creativity and serendipity in the instruction? It is a total mental buy-in from the executive board that needs to happen first. That was the biggest thing I've seen in past companies is the executive board was so worried against marginal thinking, but thinking about the bottom line when really the profits are good, margins are healthy, like this is our time to grow. And sometimes when those things are good, they're looking on, I've seen other companies try to downsize, right? And make even more money. And so those kinds of opportunities, man, it's so easy for me to say on a podcast. When, I, <laughs> when I'm in the thick of it, I'm looking at my spreadsheet. It's a lot easier to be like, you know what? I don't want to invest here because it's so hard to do it to the bottom line. But the reality is if you invest in those people, man, like we had an amazing experience at another company, not Lambda School, where they basically had a hack week. It was like a hack day. And it was like, whoever had the best idea, the company was actually going to invest in them. They were going to stop their full-time job to go do that on the side. It's like, wow, that's crazy. And they did it. And they, they built out actually a hardware software um, hybrid and they took it to market. It ended up being somewhat successful. It wasn't like the best thing in the world, but what it did is it made every other employee in the company salivate. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> and so all of us were just like, oh man, I want to, I want to win the next competition. Cause look, they're actually in the other room. They're not working on projects anymore. They're doing the thing they said, you know, it was just like this. Everybody was like, okay, next, next time they do this, this is real. And so that was something I saw and really admired um, as an employee. Any other things that, you know, as a CTO, you felt like you wish you had done better or you wish you could have kind of changed those kind of low moments that you think looking back, you're like, man, I wish I had focused on blank. Yeah, I really wish I had focused on the upgrading of the knowledge from the executive level. There was no empathy for technology. And so I was, I was like the emissary of the technologists. (laughs) And so I'd come in and I'd be like, technology, technology. And they're just like business, business, right? And so I wish I had taken time and been a better salesman of getting the executive board to really gain the empathy of how long things took instead of looking at a Trello board or a Jira board or whatever and just saying, I put X amount of time in, I get X amount of things out being able to gain that empathy, I wish I would have done a better job because it would have led to better decisions. It would have led to better opportunities for innovation. Yeah, just relaying it back to business outcomes and how technology enables business outcomes rather than- Their favorite word was API. (laughs) (laughs) Everything was like business, business, API, business. And so like, I wish I would have educated them more so that they could have more words to use than API. All right, let's do some uh, lightning round questions. You have no idea what's coming, but these questions are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform by Salesforce. Fast and easy. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps. You can learn more about building fast and easy apps, which is a lot of fun. I'm sure what, I'm sure you've built a million apps. What's your favorite app that you've built? Um, I think one of the, <clears throat> my favorite ones was a funeral app. <laughs> That's morbid, but go on. Uh, Because it was, it was an app that I built an action script three. So the you nerds out there, you know what I'm action script three could be used anywhere. And so we built it and we actually transpiled it down to an iPad. And um, it was one of my first experiences doing that. And it was just a fun experience for me as a new developer to build out something so weird as a funeral app. I remember coming home and telling my wife, like, what'd you do today? And I was like, well, I helped build a funeral app. And she was like, what? <laughs> um, so I think those, those little novel things are kind of what makes the industry super fun for me. As far as like big scale fun things like pepsico.com, I built, I built a lot of that. Uh, Campbell's Soup, um, some pretty big brands I've been involved in and like James Cameron's 3D deep dive app on Facebook. That was super fun. We got to build a little interactive pretend deep dive experience. So there's been some really fun things. The highest rated app I've ever built of the company that I, that I owned was for Donny Osmond. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> Donny Osmond. I don't know how we got this, but he was re, re he basically redubbed a bunch of songs and uh, it was so popular because people like my mom loved Donny Osmond <laughs> and that demographic, they all went on and they just five-star rated the crap out of that app. Oh, that's so good. And so it's like my, I'm like, yeah, I've got this app on, on the iTunes store that just dominated five stars. And it's like, who, what was it? And I'm like, don't ask. <laughs> but uh, that was really fun. 
behind every popular app is either a really, really good product or a really dedicated audience. <laughs> that is so true. So yeah, I mean, to be clear, we, um, we built that as a company. So it was, that was also one of those fun actions script three hybrid apps. So had a lot of fun with AS3 back in the day. All right, let's get into the lightning round. Fast questions. What app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? Oh man, it's probably auto sleep. Auto sleep, that's fun? Yeah, it's so fun to wake up and see how I slept last night. <laughs> oh, what? How does it tell you? What does it, what does it tell so you? So it connects to your watch. Uh, any smart watch should do, I think. I don't know. I'm wearing an Apple watch, and, but you wear it and then it tells you how many hours of deep sleep you got restless sleep. It's just a way to like track your health through the night. And so it's super fun to like wake up and be like, how well did I sleep last night? I don't know. I'm just kind of a nut that way. How about favorite use of AI or chatbots you've seen recently? I would say the ones that I don't know. <laughs> chatbots. So I think I can't remember the product, but I think I was like trying to buy a domain or something and the customer service came up and I legit thought I was talking to a human and, until I realized based on the responses that it was a bot and that blew my mind. So that was super fun. What app have you seen recently that you were jealous of? Like, and I wish I, I wish I had built this. I mean, I'm really liking monday.com. It's been super fun. Monday's good. And so for me, like the mobile integrations and the desktop, like how quickly I feel like they've come on the stage has been like definitely jealous. Yeah, and they're they they're investing a ton in in marketing because uh, I really everywhere. I really like them. Yeah, favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? One of my favorite books is going to be. A lot of people are really excited about Sapiens and all those fun books, but I, I'm thinking about like management books that have been coming to mind. Uh, I think Kim Scott's Radical Candor. That one kind of changed the way I thought about communicating with my team and like ruinous empathy. What a crazy idea. I was like, Oh my, I mean, it seems like common sense. So when you read something and it feels like common sense, I love that. What's your favorite one day getaway in Utah? Park city. <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> I've never been park city. I've just driven awesome. through. It's got the Olympic park still there. So you can go see all the Olympic stuff in the middle of the summer and people are doing like triple backflips off of, water slides and it's with skis on it's super surreal it's cool what do you do for fun uh play the banjo <laughs> whoa all right what technology are you most excited about for the future really excited about what's happening with css lately standards committee started talking about using nesting in css and that would be so helpful in combination with variables so for me i kind of geek out about css i love it Last question. What's your best advice for a first time CTO or CIO? I would say it's not going to be the end of the world if the website goes down. <laughs> so something that I think I neglected as a CTO, I, I came in as a software developer and not really a deployment specialist. So one thing that nobody really trained me on as a CTO was the importance of having a solid deployment cycle and being way more familiar with servers in the deployment way. So if you are coming from a software background, you've been building apps, you're really confident in yourself, do not neglect deployment. Start looking at continuous integration. Start looking at all the fun stuff out there because it's, it's a whole new world that 
I wasn't prepared for as a software transition into a CTO. Awesome. That's it for the lightning round. Thanks to our friends at Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more. Josh, anything we missed? Any final thoughts? <laughs> this was really good. I w- I'm impressed. You've done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks so much for for coming on. Obviously, we're going to be following Lambda. We're huge fans. And uh, are you are you building anything on the side? You got any any uh, any projects on the side? That's pretty fun. Uh, yeah, I got some things on the side. Basically, been building. You want to stay sharp as an instructor, and even yeah. sharper, I think, as a leader. <laughs> so yeah, I've definitely been building some things on the side that are NDA, but I've been building. It's been fun. See that that's another that's another great piece of advice. Awesome, man! Thanks so much for for hanging out and and having fun. This was great, and uh, and we'll talk soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce. IT Visionaries is brought to you by the Lightning Platform by Salesforce. Salesforce just introduced the Lightning Platform Mobile, the low-code mobile app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile apps for employees and for customers. Find out more at salesforce.com slash build mobile apps.